Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner, and BizSimply is the all-in-one HR workforce management rotate operation software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. So you got all this behavioral stuff and what's going on in my mind. And wow, you know, and the science tells us we human beings, all of us, are wired to go out in the world and seek affirmation or really confirmation of what we believe, okay? Affirmation of our ego. Our ego is just our stories. It's just our personal story about how our world works and cohesiveness of being right. We're basically wired to be lazy, perfect people. And that doesn't work and it's never worked. And what I do in the book is to give people practices and tools that they can manage, manage themselves. And the goal is to become your best self and bring your best self to the world each day. There, Mavericks, we have a real treat for you this week. It's something that is personally important for me to figure out. And that's actually how do I actually create the best version of myself. And today's guest will actually tell us that's one of the most important focus areas to have to ensure a great life and a career. Our guest is Edward D. Hess, Professor Emeritus of Business Administration from Darden School of Business. And Edward has also, besides the academic route, spent 20 years in the business world as a senior executive. He's written more than 12 books and his book, Smart Growth, was named as a top 25 business book in 2010 by Inc. magazine. And today we will visit Edward's latest book, Own Your Work Journey, The Path to a Meaningful Work and Happiness in the Age of Smart Technology and Radical Change. We will be talking about how today's workers needs to be highly adaptive in excelling learning and unlearning and relearning at the speed of change. We will also discuss that actually a lot of the jobs we know about today is either not going to be here or can be taken over by machines, AI. We discuss why the goal is to actually take control of your situation, optimize your thinking, listening and collaborating with others will really set you apart when smart technology and robots accelerates. If you like today's episode, it will mean a world to me if you can leave a review of the show on either our website, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The better the reviews, the better the guests and ultimately the better the learning is for you. I'm sure this episode, like it did for me when I both talked with Edward and prepared for the interview, really made me reflect. So not only reflect, 
It's very, very important. As you work through this episode, and you might even get his book. I would highly recommend that. Very practical book. Most important, you take action to improve your life and work journey so you can ensure that you become the best version of yourself. Enjoy. There's no doubt that I am extremely excited about today's conversation because my guest has done incredible piece of work over the years. He's written 12 books and the latest book he's written is actually all about how you become your best version of yourself. And as many that listen into the show, there's like three pillars we work in, leading yourself, leading others, and leading the organization slash team. And this is all about leading yourself and why this becomes an incredible important skill as we move into the future. So with that said, I would like to welcome you, Ed. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for the opportunity to be with you. And Ed, uh, as I said the first time, and I repeat it again today, when we talked about doing this interview, I'm impressed about the amount of work you put out there in the world to help people to get better, but especially your latest book uh, on your work journey and a path to meaningful work and happiness in the age of smart technology and radical change. And we'll, we'll come, come back to that. But just for getting a bit of context and helping the audience come with us on the journey, can you talk a bit about that, what your journey been like, your background, and also what led you to, to write 12 books? Because that's incredible many books to write. Well... My, my journey has been a very interesting journey, and I guess the s- secret to my journey, it's I became who I am because of others. Others mm. had a huge impact on my life, and I was a weird bird, all right? I was, I was born in, uh, six weeks early and stayed in an oxygen tent for six weeks, and I was called in the hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, a miracle baby and i was raised by my mother and father they were pretty protective because of that for a while and i was raised in rural georgia uh, my family were not part of the in crowd my father was an immigrant my mother was effectively an immigrant because she came from massachusetts and i was you know it was i was i was not an athlete Etc. And so, you know, I had to very early on uh, come to some common, how am I going to basically be successful? How am I going to make my parents proud of me? Okay. How am I going to basically have friends? And I was not an athlete. I was the only kid boy not chosen for the Pop Warner League. And so learning became the way. And my mother, and as I said, we were very humble background. My mother would save up money, and every four to six weeks, she'd take me to a bookstore and, and you know, and pick out a, a book about a famous person, a, you know, a, a Dr. Mayo or a politician or an athlete, uh, and you know, for for kids' book, not a, an adult book. I was a kid, but in kids' books, as to you know, so every four to six weeks, she'd Give me, give me a book to read. And then she would basically ask me questions about the book. And so I started out, in the, you know, in the first and second grade reading 
in reading outside stuff and seeing, wow, there's a great big world out there. Um, and, you know, I can read stuff and I can dream. And yes, I can maybe somewhere, you know, be somebody instead of being, you know, a, a kid that wasn't part of the in crowd. And my life changed dramatically at the end of the seventh grade. Um, I journeyed in my time period of reading the books. I became a, a top, you know, a top learner, so to speak. I got great grades. So that gave me some importance in the school system and to, to have, having a few friends. But at the end of the seventh grade, I was sitting at home and in the, in the, in the United States, football is very, very important. All right. And we lived in rural Georgia and the most powerful person in the town was the head football coach. And he was also the best head football coach in the entire state. And, you know, I, I wasn't an athlete, but on a, in June, uh, you know, after getting in out of the seventh grade, getting ready to go to the eighth grade, phone rang. And my mother basically picked it up and she says, Edward, Coach Grisham wants to talk to you. Goodness, Coach Grisham, he's God. What is? I mean, I'm not a football player. What's going on? I must have done something wrong. So I get on the phone, and he starts talking to me. And he said, would you like to become an athletic trainer? I said, what's an athletic trainer? He says, you learn how to tape ankles, and you learn you be like my chief aide. When I need something done, you help me get it done, and but you watch after the, you know, the your friends who are my players, and you make sure that they take care of themselves health-wise, da-da-da-da-da. I says, well, coach, I don't know anything about that. And he says, I know that, but I'll teach you. And he, he said, but there's one thing you have to do. I said, what's that? He said, every morning starting in August, you have to come to my house at 730 and ride to school with me. And for five years, you're going to ride to school with me. Well, that one act by him basically changed my life, my brother's life, but more importantly, my parents' life. All of a sudden, he was the most powerful man in town, put his hand over our head and said, leave these people alone. They are good people. They are my people. And it was amazing what happened. And... It was a great journey, those, those five years. I learned a lot. I taught a lot. Um, um, I became his coach on the baseball team. And then in my senior year in high school, he said, you know, you really have become a great athletic trainer. Why don't you write an article about athletic training? I says, I don't know how to write an article about that, coach. He says, I'll help you. So we published an, an article in the late spring of my senior year in at the biggest magazine in the United States for athletes. And all of a sudden he calls me back and he says, how would you like to go to the university of Florida on an, on an athletic scholarship as a student trainer? Because my family couldn't afford me to go to school. Like long story short, I went to college on an athletic scholarship to be an athletic trainer. And I got there and then I had to learn the same thing. How do I have to learn and how do I be smart? And, and it was all about learning. And, you know, our first year, it was difficult. But second year, I, I got it. And, and then the head football coach 
to University of Florida said, how would you like to be a data analyst? I said, what's a data analyst? You do all the data on how our team prepares, but also on the teams that we're playing. You look at, you know, every player, every game they did last year, and you try to figure out how you can, you know, figure out what plays they're running. And I became a data analyst. And, and, and so and all of the stories about because people saw something in me and invested in me, and I basically took it on, and at no time did I ever get full of myself because I learned that, wait a minute, you know, there's always something I don't know. I just got to keep learning. And then my life changed a little bit as I was getting ready to graduate. Instead of going and becoming a stay in the education space, I decided I need to go to law school. And, you know, I made that decision in April of the year, the five month, four months ahead, school started. Well, all the, you know, all the schools had basically signed up all the people. I'd never taken the law boards. I never had studied law, nothing. So what did Coach Grisham and what happened teach me? It doesn't hurt to ask. So I called up the dean of the law school, and the University of Virginia Law School was a top law school, and I chose it because the bug about going to law school was put into me from having met Senator Robert Kennedy, who was running for president of the United States, and I decided that's what I want to be, like him. And so, you know, I called the law school and get secretary answers, and she says, son, I mean, the class is full. I mean, have you taken the law boards? No, ma'am. Have you put an application in? No, ma'am. Well, why do you want to come? And I gave her my story, and she says, well, wait a minute. And she walked away, and she said, I'll be back. And she says, the, the dean will talk to you, only for a few minutes. So we got on the phone, and the dean talked to me for 35 minutes. And at the end, he says, I'll see you in September, son. I says, well, do I need to put in an application? He said, no, I'll see you in September. I said, do I need to take the law boards? He said, no, I'll see you in September. And that's, things like that happened all my life. I became an investment banker and I knew nothing about investment banking because the person that I worked for in law became the head guy at the big investment bank. And he said, I need you to help me do this. I don't know how to do that. I know that, but you'll know by Friday because I know you, and I can put you out there, and you'll figure things out. So it was because of other people and being open to learning, unlearning, and relearning. So really and truly, I got to where I am. I went to academia. Yeah, I wasn't an academic, trained academic. I went to academia. And so my life has been very unusual, and I'm not bragging about it or saying I'm good. I'm telling this story so people can understand that it is possible to go into the unknown, to try new things, to figure things out and be successful if you don't basically become a big ego person, which I never was. I just love learning. I love figuring things out. And I still do. And so why do I write the books? I write the books to share what I've learned, but also to share what I've learned from very, very bright people around the world because I spent years in the business world, great business leaders, 
like the founder of Southwest Airlines or the founder of the Ritz Carlton Corporation, uh, you know, from all different areas. I was very fortunate, big investment people, big Texas family. I was very fortunate all my life that I got basically people invited me in and saw something and I just continued to, to grow. And, you know, my wife has said to me several times, you know, you're very unique. You never, you, you, you never can figure out what, who you want to be when you grow up other than <laughs> you just want to be a learner. Yeah. I just want to be a learner and try try to basically help other people learn. So, you know, that's sort of a, it's a very unusual story. If you think about it, I've had, had so many people that just somehow saw something. I don't know what they saw, but I'm very grateful. And all of those people, I have 25 angels in my life, 25 people helped me. All of, and the people that, that were the real big helpers, you know, when I do my daily rituals, my morning ritual, my evening ritual, I, re I remember and thank those people. Most of them are gone and passed on. I thank those people. Gratitude. You know, gratitude, share gratitude to those people every day. And I will do that. Continue to do that. And why do I do that? Because that allows me not, that's what kept me from having a big ego, having to be always right or mm. going around bragging to everybody how damn good I was or, you know, mm. or putting down other people in meetings to try them look good. No, my biggest competition has always been me. I need to feel good about me, not in the sense because I'm better than other people because I'm doing and paying back the people who helped me become who I am. I love that's an absolutely amazing uh, story, Ed. And actually, if you read your your book or some of your works, you will see that actually you are writing books. That's also what I got from it. A bit like Marcus Aurelius didn't write meditation to brag; he wrote it for himself so he could become yeah. a better person, a better emperor, or the best version of himself. And it was not an ego thing, as many think, uh, around that work. But actually, he never contemplated it'd be one of the most selling books in the world. That was not the, the end game. And I love that kind of analogy there. I also love that the thing that you you had these tipping points. I think we all have them. We just forget to be grateful for it. Because as you was talking, I was thinking back of some of my tipping points, mm -hmm. where you know there's these conversations with individuals that took you under arm. And, you know, sometimes you miss them, you know, you miss that opportunity because you were not l listening. You talk about that in the book and we'll come back to that in a moment. So you've written all these books on, on learning business and so on. And then you end up with a book now about how to actually find meaning and purpose in my career in this world we live in. And you talk a lot about the world is changing and then maybe we could start there. What, what is it that, you know, we need to be aware of as leaders and individuals right now in the world we live in, because it's moving very fast. It's it's moving very fast in the, you know, we're in the age of smart technology. It's transformative. I mean, we're going into, we are in an era that's never been 
there before and nobody really knows how it's going to work out all we know is going back to March of this year when chat GPT-4 sounds all we know from March until now all right and you know we're in November if we think about it the world has turned upside down all right people's lives are turned upside down the speed at which this is happening the power of AI and the power and what's so interesting is is the people who have created it and who know the most about it have already I mean you know they had 10,000 signatures to let's slow this thing down and that's not happening because now instead of you know this we'll call it optimal AI being available in 2035 the best AI people today who have created this AI are saying no AI will reach its optimal stage in the next two to three years so all of a sudden billions of people are impacted by this new thing which can be much smarter than us which means all right or raises the question if they're smarter than me am I gonna have a job what's gonna happen to my family all right and you know a lot of that is dependent upon where you live and the cultures you you live in 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 the in the United States our culture is ve very survival of the fittest and competitive all right we don't have big safety nets for people and so okay what's going on here well in writing this book I, I tried to write a book that was accessible by anybody 18 years and older you don't have to go to college all right uh, you don't have to have a big degrees. You don't have to be a CEO because the interesting thing about the book, it's based on the philosophy of the seven great religions and it's based on the great Eastern and Western philosophies. And because the purpose of the book is how do I become my best self? How do I bring my best self to the table? How do I take ownership of what's going on inside of my head, my body? my mind, all right, the words I use, my ego. And so the book is a how-to book that basically says, okay, we got to take ownership of ourselves. Okay, why do I have to take ownership of myself? Because technology is going to take over a significant amount of the work that's being done. So how are you going to have a happy life and live a good living if you don't take ownership of yourself, which allows you to become a highly adaptive learner, that you can learn how to do things with the technology or do the things the technology can't do. And the good news is there are some there, there are things that technology is not going to be able to do well. But you know, the, the best research out there is saying, at least in the United States, and the United States numbers are lower than many other countries. The Oxford University researchers predict by the end of 2030, 25 to 47 percent of U.S. jobs will be automated. All right. Now, what in the world are people going to do when mm. you don't have a huge safety net? How are they going to, you know, we're, I mean, it's just mind boggling. 
Well, that's why you got to start now figuring out, okay, what do I need to do? All right. And what people need to do is they have to basically learn how to do what the technology can't do. And that's thinking in ways the technology can't think. Critical thinking, innovative thinking, going into the unknown and figuring things out, making decisions when there's not a lot of data. The other thing the technology is not going to be as good as us humans is, is building caring, trusting, positive emotional relationships with other human beings. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, human emotions, positive emotions, Human emotions are going to be what's the differentiator. Now, that requires people to learn how to manage negative emotions because all of us have negative emotions because we got this mind that's telling us and talking to us, telling us how stupid we are and how someone's trying to hurt us, all of which is garbly gook. Okay, so you got all this behavioral stuff and what's going on in my mind, and wow. You know, and the science tells us we human beings, all of us, are wired to go out in the world and seek affirmation or really confirmation of what we believe. Okay? Affirmation of our ego. Our ego is just our stories. It's just our personal story about how our world works. All right? And the cohesiveness of being right. We're basically wired to be lazy, perfect people. And that doesn't work, and it's never worked. And what I do in the book is try to, is to give people practices and tools that they can manage, all right, manage themselves. And the goal is to become your best self and bring your best self to the world each day, knowing that Ed Hess's best self today, November 15th, will not be enough in November 19th or 20th. Every day we have to work on becoming our best self, and so it's a better self. And you do that with daily practices, and you do that when you are deliberate, you know, and if you if you think of great athletes, uh, great musicians, great artists, great dancers, and just individual people, they basically, all right, are are daily practices, deliberate daily practices that they do to train themselves. Great warriors. It's the same thing. And us quote people out in the working world. Very few people, we don't practice, okay? We either think we know it all, or we think that we're not smart enough, or we just do what we're told, or we basically go around thinking that we know it all and we got to tell everybody else what to do. And none of that works. And none of that's going to work going forward. It's going to be a completely different game. Completely different game. And so there's those jobs that we can do. Thinking differently than the technology. Excelling at building, caring, trusting, positive emotional relationships with other human beings. The key there is emotions, human emotions are going to probably be the key differentiator between us and the technology going forward. 
So do you know how to generate positive emotions? Do you know how to manage negative emotions? Do you know how to have a calm mind, not have that thing inside of you telling you and critiquing you and everything? Can you be actually silent? And the, the goal of it all is, I want to get something here and just read it direct, directly so there's no... The goal of everything I've written about in the last years is inner peace, a mm. state of inner stillness and calmness that enables me, you, to go out in the world with your no, most non-judgmental, fearless, quiet ego, quiet mind that enables you to learn, unlearn, and relearn at the pace of change. That's the pathway to meaningful work and happiness in the age of smart technology. So it's that, wait a minute, this guy's telling me I need to take ownership of my ego. Well, I don't know how to do that. Well, it's pretty easy to do because there's daily practices. It's mindfulness meditation is one good one. It's gratitude practices because when you have gratitude practice, thanking somebody for helping you or for whatever they've done to impact you positively, that says to you, wow, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. So quiet ego, quiet mind, quiet body, manage your emotions, take ownership of your behaviors, ownership of your words, how you listen, be a reflective listener. Most people, when they're having conversations with other people, are making up their answers while the person is still talking. Okay? How in the world can you understand? And then as soon as the person stops talking, if you got a big ego, you tell the person why they're wrong, or you tell the person why you're why the person speaking now is, I'm right, you're wrong, all right? All this stuff gets in the way of being able to be a better learner, a better thinker, a better listener, a better collaborator, and to be emotionally the type of person that is open to the new, the different, and that other people want to help. It sort of all comes together. And all of this comes back from the, as I said, the great philosophies. That's the, that's the pathway. And, and the good news is everybody can learn to do it. It's not, as I've said, it's not rocket science. It just takes dedication of time and using deaf practices. All right. And, you know, that's the, the, the real key key in the book is, is, you know, it's got 28 practices and tools. And all of it is based in science. This is not Ed Hess saying, this is what you should do because Ed Hess does it. All right? Yeah. And it's work, workshop number 10. Yeah. Just an example, because, like, your book is yeah. super practical application, I would say. And, you know, if, if you don't know where to start, you can start to probably also make Ed very happy by the book, in a way, and start working the project. But there's one thing you said before, Ed, that I really want to just take us a little bit back to that, because 
you said, and I made a mark here in the book, and now I got away from it. Of course, I wanted to show the in the workshop. You said something about the jobs there. You said it's really important that you know we understand we have a big opportunity here as well. That's what I heard as well. Like we need to build yeah. these positive emotional engagement with other humans, and the, there will be jobs around that. And I come from the food and hospitality industry, where our primary job always has been to do that. So I see there's a unique position for that, but it seems like we forgot that a bit to become, you know, sometimes robots in what we do or lost the fate or the hope because we've been through some really tough time in hospitality because of the pandemic and so on and so on. Yes. So, so what is your view on people that is in those, you know, from that world? Do they have actually have an advantage, you think, because they already serving people, but of course they need to practice. There's no doubt about that. I have been studying these things and really interested in these things for years, but I feel I'm never done. I Every time, you know, you think you are shifting your belief systems, because this is what it's all about, is belief systems and, and behaviors that comes after that. So you change your belief system, then you can start doing the right action. Doing the right action confirms your belief system. So, so do you think hospitality people really has an opportunity here that could be quite big if you think about an industry that has really been on its knees now exactly there's maybe a time where really they can shine i love to work with the team over at this simply because they are always striving to get better one percent better every day so i had to share this with you because we simply have launched a new blogcast which highlights some of their favorite hospitality maverick podcast episodes over time. And if you're new or hardcore super fan of the show, this is a perfect opportunity to catch up with some of the standout episodes from our massive back catalog. The Simply team has and will be extensively transcribing interesting moments from each episode while providing some new insights on our brilliant guests, the Mavericks. There's already some great write-ups with Mavericks like Chef Santel Nicholson and the co-founder of Singerman's Community of Businesses, Ari Weinswein. Find them at bizsimply.com slash blog and click Blogcast on the right side menu. Enjoy. Absolutely. And, 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 and for people not in the hospitality industry, the same opportunity exists for them because if you think about it with smart technology and data being so available how is any business going to basically sell or meet the needs of other people unless they learn how to relate in caring, trusting, positive, emotional ways with other human beings. In many ways, the businesses, every business is going to have to excel at building caring, trusting, personal relations, emotional relationships with inside the business. All right. Mm. A great leader will be a leader that excels at building those relationships and then his or her direct reports have got to excel at building it with their direct reports. And this caring, trusting, positive, emotional relationships, it does, it's, it's not just being nice, okay? There's the concept of collective intelligence. 
the science of collective intelligence is is that when you bring you know four five six people around the table and have a good conversation the science shows you make better decisions or come up with better answers or results or decide to try better things than just the leader telling us what to do. Collective intelligence is so key, all right, to really success and continuous improvement, all right, that we just, okay, we got this knocked, this will work for five years. No, it probably will only work for four or five weeks now with technology, so we need to keep going. And this concept of, 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 it's positive emotional relationships. And I'm going to tell now a little story which most people of the male persuasion feel, you know, not too good about the answer. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. But I'll be, it, it is what it is. MIT in the United States is an outstanding university, technology engineering. And they've always had a group, a leading group that was into collaboration for decades, researching how do you optimize collaboration? Because they mm. worked in you know, teams, most of them, they're training people to work in teams. And so they, they got to the conclusion, let's do a big research study and see how, who are the most optimal teams, okay? What's the makeup of the most optimal teams? And so they did lots of studies, and this goes back 30, 40, 50 years. But in recent time, they came to the conclusion, let's do a study where gender is the key variant. Mm -hmm. So at MIT, they came up with lots of different types of, you know, uh, projects to work on. And then they created teams of five people. And the teams were basically composed of, you know, Five men, no women. Four men, one woman. Three men, two women. All right. And you see where this is going. All right. And ultimately, you had some teams of five men and you had some teams of five women and you had all the stuff in between. They they did several studies. Why did they do several studies? Because they couldn't believe the results of the first studies. But they did several studies, ended up doing five studies. And no matter what the project was, the most successful teams were teams of five women and no men. Hmm. The second most successful teams were four women and one man. The third was three women, two men. Well, you know where this is going. All right. Carnegie Mellon, another outstanding engineering and technology school, read all that research and said they're wrong. So Carnegie Mellon set up a team and spent years. And they did just three times. They did it three times, not five times. And Carnegie Mellon confirmed what MIT said. So you got two of the leading universities in the United States in technology and engineering doing eight studies which say the best collaborative people are people, teams of five women. Now, that sends a huge message to all us men. And the results are we men generally, not everybody doesn't do it, but generally, okay, we go out in the world seeking to confirm what we believe 
to mm. affirm our egos. Okay. Good job, Ed. Good job. Yeah. Mm. No, it doesn't work that way. All right. And men are just sort of, we're more wired to want to be right, to want other people to, you know, to like us. It's, we're not as collaborative. We're not, and we really are not that deep into emotions. I mean, I can, I remember to this day, uh, you know, in my early thirties, I was having a conversation and I was a, you know, I was, I was, I was full of myself, according to my wife, according to me, I was just doing my job, but I was full of myself in my early thirties and, you know, life was good and all this. And, you know, she was, she was talking to me and we're talking about all of this and, and then all of a sudden, she says, wait a minute, you seem to be getting upset. You're talking to me in a different tone, uh, and you're not listening to me. She says, do you understand that just because you feel something inside of you, that you don't have to actually do that behaviorally? And I looked at her and I says, I don't understand. I said, she said, I'll tell you again. She's a scientist. She knows all this. Stuff. <laughs> she says, you feel something, but do you know you have the power that you can control that and tame it down or ask it questions or take deep breaths that you don't have to all of a sudden, like a bull in the china shop, come full bore, you know, when you're talking to me and we disagree? I said, I didn't know that. She says, well, I think you need to learn that. And I was 32 years old, and uh, and I learned it, and she was right. And so it's these little things. And so why did I tell that story? There are good men out there, and you know, they're that, that have learned how to do this. Not enough men have learned how to do it. Women, the science says, women sort of more wired to make sure that everybody is listened to. Everybody mm -hmm. gets a chance to say something. We have tried to be uh, helpful with other people instead of, you know, I want to be the best. I'm the leader of the pack. Okay. So we men are going to have to adapt emotionally. And it's easy to do if you just do the work. And people that have done the work and some of the people who have built some of the greatest businesses and companies in the world learn that early on one of them should be one of the best airlines in the united states was southwest airs yeah. southwest airlines its nickname was the love airline and i was very fortunate as i have been in my life to work with some wonderful people and the founder was herb kelleher and i did a lot of work yeah. with herb kelleher and i was in his office in dallas one time and and this is not a story about Ed Hess. It's a story about what I'm fixing to say. And he said, you know, we did our work. And he said, okay, the car's waiting for you and plane's waiting for you. Of course, I flew Southwest Airlines. You know, time for you to go home, back to Washington. And I said, but he says, come on, I want to walk through the, the, one of the floors with you. And he was on the, not the top floor, but second from the top. And he says, let's go down to floor six. And we started going in. We're going to this big floor, people, desk, whatever. And people start standing up and, you know, women and men coming over, shaking his hand. Hello, Herb. And every person, he knew their name. 
every person he asked about their children, every person he asked them how they were doing, if they'd been ill or whatever. And I looked at him and I says, I've never seen anything about like this. And he looked at me and said, Ed, it's simple. We're the love airline. We love our people. And if our people, we love our people and we take care of the leaders, take care of our people, our people will take care of our customers. And every day he was in town, he tells me, he walks the floor and he, he remembers the names of every person. He remembers their children's names. All right. I've had that happen in the, in the garment industry. All right. I've seen it multiple times in the furniture industry, the chairman's. And so it's this thing about bringing out the best in people requires us to bring out the best in us. And it's not all about me. And for men, generally speaking, the biggest thing is quieting the ego. And that's why I created the, you know, the five new smart principles, all right, to give people here are principles to use. I'm defined not by what I know or how much I know, but by the quality of my thinking, listening, relating, and collaborating. My mental models are not reality. They're just my stories of how my world works, okay? Michael, your world works different than mine. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here and basically tell you that you're wrong and I'm right when I don't work in your world and you know more than you, I do. I'm not my ideas. Let go of your ideas so you can be open-minded and ask questions. Ask questions. You know, what am I missing? How many times do leaders, managers, ask the people they're talking to, what am I missing? Okay. What could go wrong? Mm -hmm. All right. Have we thought about what could go wrong? Do we have a backup plan to be open-minded and realize with all now with technology, what we believe today may be wrong in five days. But how do we check it? So all of that takes a different way of being, a different way of thinking, a different way of managing self. And how do we then, with that leads very beautiful on, because this is a question I get from others, because I talk a lot about, you know, how can you, you, know, you can, you, you are in control of certain things and you're not in control of other things. You need to radically accept that. But how can we then as individual, in your view, take more ownership of that journey? How can we actually make sure we become that best version of ourselves? What is like the secret? The secret is deliberate daily practice and adopting the tools, okay? The tools and starting out. And the secret really starts with um, mindfulness meditation. Calm the mind. Our mind is always talking to us, okay? always getting in the way, critiquing us, telling us what we should be saying. Mindfulness meditation is mission critical to basically take ownership of the mind and basically don't listen to your, learn how not to listen to your mind. And it's about deep breathing exercises. So mindfulness meditation is the building block. All right. Understanding how to basically manage your emotions. And so there are tools you can use when you're, you know, you feel yourself, 
I'm getting fired up. I'm getting feeling warmth. I'm getting teed off. Okay. Okay. Mm. What, what do I do? Okay. Uh, well, first thing you do is you stop and you take some deep breaths. All right. Deep breathing exercises helps calm the body down. All right. And you go through and do, you know, uh, deep, deep breaths. But also you then ask yourself, all right, how do I react this time? How do I behave? And the answer is always ask questions to make sure you understand the other person. Don't be on autopilot. And so you get down to this whole whole thing about how do I manage my ego, my mind, my body, how I feel. Mm. Generate positive emotions. Generating positive emotions. If you feel yourself feeling negative or, or whatever, generate positive emotions. Think, think of people that you love or that care about you or that have been really helpful to you, all right? And do just in your mind, I'm so thankful that, you know, my wife helped me with this, or I'm so helpful, thankful that, uh, you know, Jim shared this with me the other day, or I'm so proud of my children, whatever. Get positive stuff flowing through your body because it's chemically different. And so there's all these ways to that are easy Okay, that you just create your little, and they're all really in the in the book. You create your little way of okay. How do I how do I get to the point? And for you know, and you do you do your meditation twice a day. You prepare yourself. I, I have companies I've worked with with that basically bought in, and for years before the meeting actually starts, the leader has the group do two to three minutes of mindfulness meditation, deep breathing exercises, and then ask, is everybody in a good state now to have a good conversation? Mm. You don't come in raring to go. I got my answer. I'm going to look good <laughs> today. No, no. Get calm. Okay, get quiet inside. Be positive emotionally. Look at the people around you, not as competitors but as your colleagues, as your friends, that we are a team, then we're ready to have the conversation. And then we critique ourselves at the end. I have companies that basically have some of the things that are in the book, the charts and everything. They're in every conference room in every office they have around the world. And you go in and you read the list. Here's my reminders what to do. So it's deliberate practice daily, and it just takes a small amount of time. But the efforts, I had one company that after two years of doing this, their performance was 4X what it was before they started. Wow. 4X is a big number. Yeah. And, and so this stuff works, all right? This stuff works, and, and it's... The key is a lot of people try it. Many of those people slack off. You can't slack off. 
you do it every day. It's just part of you, it becomes part of your life. Yeah. Part of your life. And, but people that do it always say, I mean, they tell stories. Okay. Their children are happier. Their spouses are happier. They got more friends. They feel more comfortable. They know they don't know everything, but we'll figure it out because I got people that can help me. It's, it's interesting and I, i would say to people if they want to start the journey or they have listened we'll put the, the the link to the book in the the show notes it you know we could talk ten thousand of hours there's two things more i would love to ask you because first time i met you i was looking at your bookshelf behind you and i'm looking again and i can see you turn some new books around it's a bit like you said what is that my my mind is focusing on you have scary smart i can see over there in the background which is a book i just have read as well but you know you've written a lot of books yourself and of course you would love people to take that book but if you were giving away a book you know that was not your own nine out of ten times what book would that be and and why What do we have here? The Art of Living. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Thich Nhat Hanh is, was a great Buddhist philosopher. He's, I mean, and you can see from the book, you, know, you can see the pages I have sort of. Yeah, you used that book. <laughs> I used this book. And, and you know, you, you were saying that, you know, I've given away to people. I mean, this I've given away And and most people didn't. Most people weren't into meditation, weren't into the philosophy. But I've never had a person who didn't say to me, "This book and its practices has changed my life." And mm. uh, his. So you know that's a you know, and I've got other books. I mean by. Mostly the books that I've given to people that people really have caught on are books about either the great religions or the great philosophies, either the Buddhist philosophy or the Stoic philosophy, all right, from the philosophy side. Mm. Uh, and religions, they read their own thing, but if they read, um, uh, there's a book by Huston, H-U-S-T-O-N, which basically says, here's the philosophies of the seven religions. And you read through each chapter, and then at the last two chapters, it's all about, isn't it interesting how the philosophies overlap significantly? All right. And so it's, 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 and I, I find that, I find in the work I do, the most hardest thing that I, my biggest challenge is, is for, is to help people start, start with doing mindfulness meditation, two minutes, two minutes. All right. Start with some other daily gratitude practices, which are easier to do, you know, do those five minutes each, you know, in the morning and into nighttime, sit back at the day. All right. And, 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 and take the time and read the new smart principles. The new smart principles are designed to basically quiet one's ego or to make one more realistic about how smart they are all right and 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 it's the key is is for people to start and just keep at it and you'll you know you'll go and it only gets better uh and you know 
okay, if something happens and you can't do it uh, that morning or that night or whatever, okay, make it up sometime in the sense you catch up. But if you think about it, as you're walking to a meeting, uh, you know, why, why don't you basically, or why don't people basically say the three or four things, mantras in their, in their, in their mind that they need to do? Okay, uh, remember, ask questions before responding. Ask questions before responding. All right, that's a good one. All right, to do. To do. Stay calm, stay calm, deep breathing, deep breathing. Okay, remember, it's not about you. Okay. My biggest competition is not someone else. It's myself. My biggest competition is me. I have to take ownership of my emotions, my behaviors, my thinking, my listening. Okay, when somebody's talking, don't respond immediately. Ask questions to make sure you understand. That does two things. It helps you understand so you don't look like an idiot asking the wrong questions, okay? But the second thing is, the more powerful things, it tells the other person that you care about what they said. And that's how you build emotional relationships with people in teams. You know, if everybody's just there like this, you know, the old um, Western, Western cowboys bringing their pistols to the table and putting their pistols on the table and let's have a conversation. That's not a conversation. The conversation is, is to take in what other people are saying and challenge them, of course. What, what data do you have? Where did you get this from? Who said this? What scientist? Whatever it is, that's all good stuff. But you ask questions. You don't say, that's wrong. Here's the answer. I disagree with you. Here's what I think. Wait a minute. You haven't even shown the other person that you understand what they said. It's these, it's these little things and they build upon each other. And when you see it working in organizations, it's the quality of the, I mean, I had one, one client that's in the um, clothing business and the clothing, most of the clothing is made as you know, outside the United States. So they have a huge facility in Pennsylvania and the corporate office was in Pennsylvania. Here's the vice chairman of the company. All right. Number two person in the company. And we're having a conversation. He said, Ed, I'm sorry. It's getting on to be 11 o'clock. I've got to go take an hour walk. And I said, well, you know, I'm, my plane is leaving. He says, I know that. But I, this is something I do every day when I'm in town. He says, why don't you come with me? You'll learn something. I said, okay. So we go out, and he goes into one of the big buildings, and he says, I'm, I'm on row C today. And so he walks down row C, and it's the men and women who are taking the clothes out of the boxes and putting them in bags to go to the different stores. All that. He's going down, and he's saying, hello, and he's using first names. Every person. He stops, and, and they talk a little bit. How's your son, Jim? How's your daughter, Jane? Whatever. And he walks down this aisle, and then turns around, comes back another aisle. Takes about an hour, hour and a half. And every person, he knew their first name and he knew their kid's name. And I looked at him. I said, I've never seen anything like that. And he said, I'm the number two person in a big public company. 
but this is the most important thing I do every day because it sends a message to those people that I care, we care, we're thankful, we're grateful, keep doing the good work you're doing, and we'll all have good work to do. It's very interesting, Ed, as you give the second example now of what uh, Jim Collins and Good to Great call level five leadership in, in his book. And actually that book was given to me by my sponsor at university to really put me on this journey. And that book transformed my thinking at how we build companies and how we look at the way it feels, it looks, it smells, the environment in a business. And it actually comes all from the shadow of the leader and what they do. And Herb Keller was the first one I really connected with in that book, a story about Southwest Airlines. And I became obsessed with learning everything about Southwest Airlines at that point and trying to practice that as a leader as I went out. And that's quite hard because you actually have to go against the grind, what everybody else is doing. You're actually doing over there in meetings, you're out there with the people in the front line. And but it pays off down the line. It pays off hugely as yes. you grow your business or you're you're increasing yes. in the rank because you go you are remembered for the one who cares in a way. And you uh, and you don't do it actually because if you you don't do it with authenticity, that's what I've learned. Some people trying to do it and feel authentic, but you can see they're just doing it to ticks in the box. That's different because you can't remember people's kids' name if you don't really care. And that, that's super interesting. I wanted to ask you one more question, Ed, because this is like a question, I think, because you'd like to have questions that, in a way, make you think, ponder, potent question. I think this was a really good one I found in my archive. What is like the, the one question you wished I've asked you? And what would it have be? And what would you have answered? <laughs> that's that's an amazing question and this is what's coming up because of our relationship and the way you are i'm very very calm inside all right and the science shows that the best answers generally come about from people when they're totally calm inside and, and something comes up and this is the best answer. And I, 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 think, I think the question and what's coming up inside is, why, why, Ed, are you, you so passionate about this stuff? I mean, you've had, a, you've had multiple set, you know, successful careers, okay? I mean, you're... You know, da 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 da. Why is why someone like you at your age? Why are you so committed to this new journey with this new book? And the the answer to it is, it's a way of me giving back to the world because you know I wasn't supposed to live being born two pounds and thirteen ounces, and all through my life, people have helped me. And I'm really committed to doing whatever I can, small thing I can do to basically help people. My goal is to minimize the number of people that are left behind. Mm, beautiful. To minimize the number of people that are left behind because that will create such difficulties 
for those people, but for the world and for uh, society and for countries and etc. I mean, all about at this stage is this: how do I, you know, help people gain some skills or ways of being that's going to help them through? I mean, we're going into an environment unlike anything that's ever existed in the world. Okay. It's bigger than the Industrial Revolution, and but the Industrial Revolution took 60, 70 years for the world to get back settled. All right, this is going to be bigger, and it's not going to take 60, 70 years. It's either going to be, you know, very good sooner, or it's going to be very bad sooner. And so that's, you know, you know why, why, why. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's so important that this, this science be put out there in ways that every person can relate to it. Where can the people learn more about your work, find out more about what you do at? Where's the best, uh, best place to go? Well, they, I'm on LinkedIn, so there's a lot on LinkedIn, and I post a lot on LinkedIn. They can go to the book's website, www.ownyourworkjourney.com. Uh, they can look at, at a, another uh, link would be edhess33 at gmail.com if they had questions. It's pretty easy. To, not that I'm a big, you know, important person. I'm not. But, I mean, you know, it's easy sort of to look me up and, you know, just Google me and, uh, and find it just because I've written so many books. We'll also put links in the, the show notes so people can find you. Thank you for doing this incredible work. And I'm sure you're doing your dent on the universe in a positive way already and more hopefully to come as we share this with the audience. I send you power and energy to continue this important journey. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me in a wonderful conversation. All the best. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate it or give it a review, or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading books is key to become a great leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the books that have impacted the guests here on the show and myself over the years. Find it on Hospitality Mavericks website, hospitalitymavericks.com, under the reading list. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com, on their social, at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at podcast at bizsimply.com. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or my email, michael at hospitalitymaverick.com. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick!